Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch with you. And once again, Justin Kinney out and about. Where in the world is Justin Kinney this week? Right now, as we speak, I am driving back to the entrance of the Chattanooga battlefield in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, I'm a big history buff, history guy, and uh, rarely get to this part of the country. Usually when I head to Florida, I take 65 down you know, through Nashville and stuff. I, I intentionally went this way uh, to take a look at Chattanooga battlefield. I'm heading to Florida for work for the weekend, so... There's your update on where in the world I am today. And I am back at the Federated Media Studios, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sable, Sable. Like usual. Yeah. Yes. Nothing has changed. All right. Well, plenty, <laughs> plenty to discuss this week in IndyCar, Indy 500 qualification changes. The 33rd entry is all but formalized. And, uh, oh, we have a race this weekend at Barber Motorsports Park, the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. Saturday tickets now sold out. Sunday tickets sold out for the second straight year. Should be a big event down in the Birmingham area this weekend is IndyCar races in May, but it's not at the Speedway. A little bit uh, different. I'm trying to think the last time that happened, I recall the Brazil race in Sao Paulo was in May one year, about, what, nine, ten years ago. So, uh, Justin, we'll, we'll start with the first thing, and you had very strong feelings about all of this. You were, as they say, tweeting through it, um, the Indy 500 qualification changes. And so let's run down what it looks like, and, and Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, who put it very succinctly for us in, in a way to sum it up and what all this means. So obviously 33 cars, that part hasn't changed, and I don't think it ever will in the foreseeable future but saturday everyone will run as they wish cars with speeds ranking 13th through 33rd the end of the day are set now this is with no extra entries and we're not anticipating a 34th or so on entry and then on sunday the fastest 12 will run once to try and make the fastest six and then they'll run once more to determine the top six spots the fastest in that final session, they'll win the poll and the $100,000 grand prize for winning the poll. Simple enough, uh, another change, and it's really just a slight modification from what we've seen in recent years with the Fast 9. Now it's a Fast 12 where you have two groups. Essentially, if you're making that Fast 6, you're qualifying three times. That's no different from a road or street course event like we have this weekend at Barber where you have Group 1, Group 2, Um Session 2, and then the Firestone Fast 6 on a road or street course. But it's a little different when it's four laps at Indianapolis on the edge going for pole. You were vehemently against uh, these changes. I think that's the word I would like to use to describe it. Uh, Tell us where you're at with this now a few days gone by. Well... You know, a lot of different things go through your head. I think the most frustrating thing is that they're changing the format again. And while it's not a drastic change, it's it's trying to cover up the greater problem, which is there's absolutely no bumping this May. And uh, I, I feel like that's a true issue that needs to be rectified going forward. 
you know, we, we know why, or at least, you know, we were told why, right? Lack of equipment, lack of chassis, lack of desire by full-time teams to rent their equipment out. I totally understand that. But at the same time, the month of May, you know, at least for me, for qualifying weekend, 80% of the drama, maybe even 90% of the drama to me is making the field. It's the back end of the field. It's, it's you know, you know, taking the chance to pull your car out of line and, and pull its speed and, and put it in the rush line and, you know, cars that are in that second line and they keep pulling themselves out and going behind when they don't have to keep going up. It's just, it's, it's constant drama, right? And, and we're not going to have that. I can have any of that. And uh, instead, it's kind of a contrived, super fast nine. It's not a fast 12 going down to a fast six. It's trying to uh, infuse some excitement into a weekend that, let's be honest, has lacked excitement from the old days. You know, you know we, we, we consistently have 35, 36. Now we don't even have that this year so you know it's it's just on a kind of an all-encompassing gripe for me i feel like you know it's it's just being done for tv to try to up the drama the drivers of course have to tell the company line and say oh this is great and blah 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 and all that but you know let's be honest with just 33 cars in the field there's going to be something significant missing on qualifying weekend and that's the excitement the drama the the ups and downs that is bumping at the Indianapolis 500. Well, and it's it's funny you brought up TV. I've seen on social media from people in the know that, yes, this is largely this format is due to TV to help NBC, you know, have something that Sunday afternoon. The rest of it's going to be streamed on Peacock. In fact, the, the schedule is out for all of month of May across the two races, and we'll dive into that a bit later on. But essentially for Peacock, IndyCar, Deep Third also telling me the same thing. It's it's all for Peacock. It's all for TV. And, yes, you have to take care of your TV partner. But to me, they only care about the last hour or two on either day anyway. So I guess why revamp something that, in my opinion – I thought the qualifying format they had, because they had kept it for a few years, A, made sense, B, worked, and C, was not entirely too confusing to explain. Yeah, and I think, you know, I feel like, you know, the, the brain trust in IndyCar said, okay, well, we're not going to have bumping, so how do we up the ante to try to create the excitement that, that would have bumping? And that, they came up with this Fast 12 thing, and it's... Um, it, you know, IndyCar fans love to point at NASCAR and the gimmicky things that they come up with, and this is gimmicky. You know, Fast 9 is gimmicky, but yeah. we've accepted it. it. It's excitement, right? Now this Fast 12, it's a gimmick to try to, excite, you know, infuse some excitement into an otherwise unexciting Sunday outside of the pole. And it still leaves, in my opinion, an incredible void on Sunday between positions 13 and 30, and maybe even 13 to 33 at this point, is there's no running for them outside of if they want to practice, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's the setup. You are, you are sidelining over half of your field 
on the second day of so-called qualifying weekend. So, I mean, if you were gonna, if you were gonna, you know, come change some things in the qualifying format, you know, I would make, you know, maybe you were locked into the top twelve on Saturday, and then thirteen through thirty-three run again for their final qualifying spot, something like that. Um, you and I, you know, even I threw it out there, and I don't know how viable this is. It's just kind of throwing something out there. Is what if you had a team award where the highest average mile per hour qualifying speed by the teams was awarded a hundred grand or a half a million dollars or something like that. And, um, you know, allowing drivers to, to then not only work to, uh, to work on their own qualifying position, but also as a team effort. And by doing the average, you know, it allows a Hunkos with a single car to, in theory, battle against teams with three or four cars. And that would add some drama. You know, I think still the absurdity that is the award for winning the poll monetarily is $100,000. It's the exact same amount of money that was handed out to the 1989 poll winner. Yeah, and and fun fact with that year, Justin, that's the year I was born. So it has not changed in my lifetime. (laughs) I mean... I mean, even that, like, I mean, so many people want to talk about the purse for the Indianapolis 500. Let's talk about the award for pole. It's the same amount of money as it was 33 years ago. And so I I don't know why I'm supposed to get excited for the pole. It's an award for sure. But as we've seen, I mean, you know, the last several Indianapolis 500s, it's helped to start in the top five, right? Uh, You know, and Simon Pagenaud was the last to win from pole. But if you go back 10 years, you know, the average winning position is about eight or nine. And ask Marco Andretti how much having the pole helped him. He didn't even lead going into turn one, lap one. So I feel like it's a race where if you start in the top 15 to 20, you have a good shot to win if you have a good car. And, um, you know, it's just I, – I see through the BS basically is what this comes down to, Caleb. I, I can't get excited about yet another change for qualifying. I can't get excited for them trying to tr- pump up an event that, quite frankly, isn't that exciting without bumping and with the fact that they're still giving out a measly, quote-unquote, $100,000 if you do indeed sit on the pole. And with that, you're not getting that cool StarCraft van that Rick Mears got for winning the poll in, yeah. in 1989. <laughs> and I would love to see that thing uh, take a lap around the uh, the racetrack. It's got to exist somewhere. You know, you brought up Rick a good Mears point. If any type of historian, he would still have that thing. You brought up a good point about, you know, starting position used to be everything in the Indy 500. You know, you go back, especially in the – 70s 80s 90s i mean you wanted to start up front especially in that 80s era as rick mears dominated in the 80s and dominated qualifying in that era because it was tough to pass and it was even tough to pass in the early 2000s but since we've had the dw12 and the different iterations of that with the aero kits the universal aero kit and even adding on the aero screen you look at the starting positions of drivers the last few years and you know, last year, Elio started what? What was he? Sixth? Um, in 2020, yeah. um, Takuma Sato, it, he didn't start 
up front, but I mean, it's it's not like it's impossible to win. Like you said, if you're in the first third of the field, you're in great shape. Um, going back, you know, a, f- a few years, uh, you go to 2015. Well, actually, I'll go back a little bit more. 2014, Hunter A won from 19th. In 2015, Montoya won from 15th. Then in 2016, Rossi won from 11th. In 2017, Sato won, I believe, from 6th. So, again, not starting up front. Or, excuse me, Sato was 4th in 17. In 18, Power was 2nd. Pagano started from pole in 19. And then in 2020, when Sato won again, he started, let's see here, in third. So, again, you're starting up front, and and last year, Elio was in the sixth starting position. So, if you start in the first three rows, you have a really, really great shot of winning the race. Correction, Elio was eighth. My apologies. So, you start in the first three rows, you're probably set to have an opportunity to win the race. But we've even seen with guys, you know, like Montoya and, and Hunter A starting a lot further out that have won the race. If you're in that top 12, though, it's pretty much open for you to have the car and to have the team to win the race. You get further past that unless you make a mistake in qualifying, like we've seen with a few guys over the years. Will Power, Alexander Rossi, Ryan Hunter Ray, et cetera, who've been able to carve their way through the field and, and compete, but not ultimately win in, in most of those situations. So starting in front's important, but it's not everything that it used to be. It's not everything. And it, what, we've had one winner start from pole in the last 13 years, I want to say, 12 or 13 years, one of those. So, you know, pole isn't everything even. And, uh, you know, I, I just... It, I'm just really going to miss bumping. I'll say that. I, I, I may be in the minority. You know, a lot of people may get into the pole in the, in the fast nine, fast twelve. But I, I understand that. There's no right or wrong. But you know, for me, the drama is whether or not you make this race. And we've seen it even in years past. In the last couple of years, the drama of, of the last row shootout and and what can happen and what can happen and. And I'm going to miss it. And, it, and to me, it's going to be difficult to uh, to stay engaged for two days, quite frankly, for qualifying. You know, most years I'm locked in starting at, what, 11 o'clock or noon on Saturday. The first driver to go out, like, you know, you're locked in for the weekend, right? Uh, you know, not as much for me heading into this year. Well, and, and going back a couple more years on these starting positions, so Dario was 16th in 2012 and Kanan in 2013 was 12th so we've had probably almost just as many double digit starting positions in this dw12 era as we've had you know single digit starting positions and and again only one of those has been from the poll so you go back to the last poll winner that we had you know pre-dw12 era and you go back to 2009 with elio so (laughs) While qualifying is important, it is not the end-all, be-all that it used to be. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot of excitement. There'll a lot of be, uh, be a lot of, uh, you know, surprises or a little bit. But, um, you know, don't try to sell this to me as just as exciting as if we have bumping. Because it's not 
And while I'm looking forward to qualifying weekend, I'm more looking forward to Barber this weekend, the Indy GP two weeks from now, and then the Indianapolis 500 on the uh, Memorial Day Sunday at the end of the month. I guess with me when it comes to qualifying, and look, in my opinion, this is largely a TV move that NBC wanted some changes because of the lack of bumping for this year when we are expecting, you know, upwards of 35, 36, or even more entries just a few months ago that NBC dictated this move, and that's fine. They have to make it work to make TV work because qualifying is a draw. It'll largely draw like Sunday should draw over a million viewers I mean that's the baseline for a race broadcast but it's also the baseline for a qualifying broadcast it still does draw and and draw pretty well but to me in the future if we're not gonna have bumping or if they're going to cut things down look just make it a one-day thing I mean we we do that for other tracks and I don't I don't like to say that but if we're not going to have, you know, 36-plus entries, then just make it a one-day event. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of running over the course of two days when, you know, you're you're basically locked in? If, let's say, uh, Simon Bajnell on Saturday goes out on his first run and puts it P1 and never drops out of P12 the rest of the day, there is no incentive for Simon Pagino to run another qualifying sim or qualifying attempt until that fast 12 on Sunday evening or afternoon. I mean, that's that's not exciting. Well, I will say, though, that the drivers in that 13th through 19th or 20th range are all going to be eagerly going out on Saturday to right. try to move into that top 12 slot i mean to me saturday is the more exciting day and even in years past with the fast nine yes the fast nine and the last row you know qualifying sessions those were exciting but as far as on track action being at ims a saturday the last few years has been kind of the day as far as seeing a lot of cars on track and the bigger speeds even some of the time have been then so Yeah, Uh, to me, if you can fit everything in on one day, just do that. I get that you're giving up on TV time, but I guess, I mean, how how much are you really losing when most of that's already on Peacock? Right. I mean, mean, not having bumping makes uh, a world of difference because adding that element would add significant drama over the course of two days. When you don't have that, it's very difficult to make it exciting. And so, you know, to me, yeah, you could definitely feel that Phil put all that in, you know, to one day and make it a pretty decent show. But, you know, like, you know, going back to my example, Simon Pagino puts a P1 and nobody ever beats him over the course of Saturday. And, you know, there, there's no incentive for him to run ever again until that fast 12. Yeah, and that's, that's not exciting, right? I mean... That's a day later. I mean, if you have a good time, though, you're not going to run again anyway. There's no incentive for you to risk it. Right. So the, the fact that there – I think there's been issues for a while. I'm not saying there's a perfect solution, but adding another element of some sort. If you're 17th on Saturday, or let's say 27th on Saturday, you're done. 
right? But why not let those cars 13 through 30 or 13 through 33 work on their cars overnight and that 29th place qualifier on Saturday can come out and try to get 13th on Sunday? I mean, why not? I, I just you're just you're you're eliminating over half of your of your drivers after one day. Well, and you have, I mean, going back to the TV coverage aspect, I mean, Saturday's all on Peacock and IndyCar Live for international uh, viewers. The only session that's on NBC is at 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Sunday afternoon for the Top 12 and Firestone Fast 6, which in years past you were getting, when you had bumping, you had the bumping session followed by the qualifying session. So that part's largely unchanged. And, I mean, is this the first year they haven't had any broadcast on network on Saturday? Um, You know, that's a good question. I feel like they did last year, but it may have been an NBCSN yeah. thing. Right, but I think, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, folks, but I, this feels like the first time since I can remember that there's been no TV coverage of Saturday's qualifying. Could be wrong. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. But... All in all, look, it, it's a change, and it, it seems, um, it's it seems like this is dictated by TV. I get it, but when most of it's already on Peacock, I guess to me, at at this point, with a lack of bumping, not having you know a lot of entries, just make it a one day show. I, I guess to me is my preferred thing, and I'm fine with. Just doing okay. The track is open from eleven to five fifty or whatever, or twelve to five fifty, and everyone runs once. And then once everyone's gone, people can go back out, have the regular lane, the fast lane, like they've done for a few years, and go from there. And I think something that you brought up, Caleb, uh, when we were texting back and forth is. You know, IndyCar needs to make sure that this is a one-year thing in terms of no bumping. This is not an engine issue. There's a maximum 36. So, at the very least, you know, at the most we should have probably 36 trying to qualify. And IndyCar needs to make sure that there's not only 33 in 2023 and going forward because this is not good for the show. There are teams out there that want to try to make this event there are drivers out there that want to try to make this event. There are sponsors out there that want to back teams trying to make this event. And the inability for those teams, drivers, to find spots in the qualifying weekend is a problem. I'm not blaming the teams. You know, they got to look out for themselves. I get it. You know, some of those teams on the outside looking in, they need to invest financially in a chassis and all that stuff. I'm not blaming one particular entity. But I am saying IndyCar better figure that out because it's not good. It's not good to only have 33. And it's a myriad of factors, like you said. Chassis availability, these one-off entries, they don't own their own chassis. So a lot of teams aren't willing to lease a chassis to one of these one-off teams or partner in a technical alliance like some of the other teams do currently. You have a lack of crew because a lot of the one-off crew guys are now working full-time in the series because of expansion for full-time entries, which is great. It's a positive problem to have. And then the engine availability, I think, to a bit lesser extent, however, you can factor in, like, yes, 
each manufacturer said they provide up to 18, but Honda was <laughs> very, very particular if they were going to allow that 18th to go about, and they aren't. And you have how many drivers outside looking in? I mean, that were interested. Stefan Wilson, who we expect to be that 33rd entry in partnership with Cusick Motorsports and with Dragon Speed returning. That, according to MarshallPurdueRacer.com, we'll get to more on that in a bit. But you have a lot of drivers vying for that final spot, but only one really had enough doors open to make it work. You had Stefan Wilson. You had R.C. Enerson. You had Simona D. Silvestro. Um, wouldn't shock me if Charlie Kimball was one of those. Obviously, Ryan Hunter Ray was approached, turned down, ride with Hunkos from what we under- understand. Who am I forgetting here? I feel like there are a couple. Of, oh, Catherine Legg was another name. Who else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Cusick uh, that we talked about with Dragon Speed. We're talking about. I mean, all those could be individual attempts, right? Individual entries. Instead, we're, it sounds like we're having a uh, a team up of sorts to get Stephen Wilson on the grid as the thirty third. But you know, all of those you mentioned could have had individual efforts, and unfortunately, it didn't come together for a variety of reasons. But IndyCar has done a great job at expanding the field of full-time entries. And part of this issue is because of that. So, you know, we can't complain too much. But I think IndyCar needs to help and facilitate some of these teams a little bit better, not financially, but putting them in connections with uh, with different teams and different entities and, you know, just making it easier for them. But those teams themselves, they need to invest financially. They just can't come in and say, well, we're going to just try to rent everything and then return it at the end of the month because if you destroy it, then that leaves you uh, an existing team without many spares. So uh, I think there just needs to be a wholesale change in how some teams and the series approach May because I feel like I feel like throughout the season, over the course of 11 months, IndyCar is very much like, we'll help teams however we need to to get them on the full-time grid. But then when it comes to May, there is not much help out there. Well, and, you know, we mentioned of those drivers I rattled off, like, not all those deals were solid, like, going to work out and they were rejected and that's the only reason why they're not in the field. But, look, even getting half of those puts us at 36 entries, right? And the whole leasing a chassis or partnering with a – alliance like team that's set up that seems relatively new right i mean this is a newer thing that teams are doing where in the old days you'd you'd have your chassis it could be a year old it could be a couple years old you know a lola a Raynard, a, a pinsky chassis whatever and you bring that to the track and you try to qualify it and these teams they obtain a chassis and and they make it work right so that's what it needs to go back to, like you said, these smaller teams, these one-off and part-time entry teams, they need to go the route like a dry and Reinbold, where they have the chassis and they prepare and they work on it and they enter the race and, and they're an independent entity. And I feel like this is a lesson learned for those teams. I think, you know, the full-time teams, you know, put their foot down this year and said, okay, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. We just can't. We've we've grown. We're putting extra cars in the full time field. We can't be renting out, um, you know, equipment or these partnerships and stuff. And you have to respect that. So I think it needs to be a change of strategies for some of these one offs 
or these teams that are trying to uh, to really jumpstart their operations with the Indianapolis 500 is, look, you're going to have to invest more capital up front than maybe you used to have to because you could partner with an existing team with a, with some of their equipment or whatever. Instead, now you have to bring a chassis and, and probably some, some uh, you know, some crew as well instead of just, um, you know, borrowing some other crew off another team. So the approaches for some of these teams that are looking for into the month of May needs to change for 2023, but that's just one piece of the puzzle. I feel like there can be things that the series and, and full-time teams and the part-time entries can all do differently to avoid this circumstance happening next year. And Marshall Pruitt pointed this out last week in his mailbag talking about these one-off and, and part-time teens, you know, looking into getting their own chassis, and you called for that a few weeks back. That's what they need to do. you got to have your own car in, in order to get there. And so maybe that, like you said, will give them a sense of urgency and have them prepared next year so we can avoid this. Yeah, you got, uh, you got a good 11 months, 12 months right now to, to – to get the financials together to buy a tub or buy a chassis. So I think that's step one, and I think that puts you in a lot better position next year because I think in a lot of ways, you know, maybe teams would take you a little bit more serious too. If you were coming to try to to rent everything, uh, you know, teams are going to be like, well, you know, what are they in it for, right? But a long-term investment like a chassis, I think, would send a message to some of these team owners to, you know, maybe assist some of these entries or partner with some of these entries, knowing that uh, they, they're, you know, invested financially with some stuff that, you know, they're going to have for the long haul. Hey, and maybe someone can buy that chassis from Top Gun slash R.C. Enerson's dad, you know, whoever owns that, you know, that seems to be available, right? No one's using it. <laughs> Well, I, I can't wait to see that on, uh, you know, People's Court or Judge Judy or something on determining who owns that chassis because we haven't heard an update on it. So I don't know if they finally came up with who exactly owns it or not. But, you know, as you put it simply, Caleb, at one point, whoever bought it should own it. So who bought the thing? Not the chassis owner. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that that's enough Indy 500 qualifying drama, um, all of that. But uh, with IndyCar in this extra entry, well, this 33rd entry, it's not really an extra entry. We, we finally have some formality on all this, and it's what we expected as far as the driver and the team. I think the partner team was one that came in late, but it makes sense. Hunkos. Hollinger Racing not involved in the effort, according to MarshallPerdueRacer.com. So Cusick Motorsports and Dragon Speed partnering with Stefan Wilson. That announcement for that 33rd entry uh, should come next week. None of this is really that big of a surprise. It's just that it took so long for that entry to get confirmed. I think maybe trying to work out all of the idiosyncrasies of basically two organizations working together, uh, who's paying for this, who's paying for that, all that stuff. Um, it can be difficult to, to, to put all that together, probably time-consuming. So, uh, But the good thing is they, they got it together, and then they'll be the 33rd, and it'll be good to see Stephen Wilson back on the grid. 
Yeah, especially how last year ended in the 500. He gets another opportunity and hopefully can write that and get the result that he needs. And Cusick is one of those teams that is very excited and was trying to move full-time, but it seems like they got stuck in all this chassis mess as well. Yeah, and we'll see how it pays off for those teams because, you know, when we look at the path to, to you know, relevancy in IndyCar and running more races, we we usually think that starts with the Indianapolis 500. But if you take Coretta Autosport as an example, that didn't work for them last year, and now they're taking a different route. So I think it's a good storyline, an interesting storyline to watch as we see how Coretta Autosport develops and some of these teams like Cusick Motorsports and Top Gun that have really focused their energies in terms of, a, of, of uh, you know, growing their impact in the sport with the month of May and the Indianapolis 500 at the forefront. So hopefully it pays off for them and is a success because it wasn't a success for Coretta Autosport. At least we'll see them later on in three races partnered with Ed Carpenter Racing later this summer on some road and street course events. So schedule is set for May, and there's not really any major surprises. Um, Friday will be practice, two practice sessions, and qualifying for IndyCar on Friday, May 13th for the GMR GP. And then on Saturday, race day, they'll have a warm-up in the morning, and then the race will be at 3.30 Eastern and then practice will start on the following Tuesday, May 17th. They'll have a veteran practice, 9 to 11 a.m. Uh, ROP and veteran refresher test, 1 to 3, and then open practice, 3 to 6. Then Wednesday and Thursday will be open practice, noon to 6. Also on Friday, same time, qualification draw, 6.15 p.m., Friday, May 20th, Fast Friday. Then on Saturday, qualifying, they'll have qualifying practice, 9 to 10.30 in the morning with two different groups. Noon to 5.50, so the whole day. They'll set positions 13 through 33, and then the fast 12 will be locked in. Um, and then on that Sunday, May 22nd, they'll have last chance practice if necessary from 11.30 to 12.30. Again, won't be necessary. Top 12 practice, 12.30 to 2. Surprise if you have many takers there. Last chance qualifying 2 to 3, again, if necessary, which we don't expect it to be. Top 12 starts at 4. And then at 5.10, the Fast 6 qualifying, and they'll award the pole after that. Um, then they'll have that Monday practice back from noon to 2 in open practice. No track activity Tuesday through Thursday. And then Carb Day Friday, May 27th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. is the final practice. Pit stop competition, 2.30 to 4 in the afternoon. And then they'll have Legends Day on that Saturday. The drivers meeting at 10.30 in the morning. The parade starts at noon downtown. And on race day, 12.45, the green flag drop for the 106th Indianapolis 500. Good to see that Monday practice back. I think it's pretty wild and exciting, and it's good to see it back on the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good move by IndyCar because I don't really like the fact that, uh, you know, the last time we see these cars on track is Sunday during the, you know, Fast 9, now it's Fast 12. And I don't think the drivers either. Like, you know, you you uh, have your qualifying trim and then you don't put it on track until carb day. And it's a frenetic, you know, hour, hour uh, 
practice, basically. So you're really cramming a lot in that carb day practice. Well, it's it's a two-hour session now. Two hours, but but it's it's good to give them that Monday, I think, too, to kind of, uh, you know, okay, now we're going to move past qualifying trim. Now we're going to run a little bit more in terms of race trim and see what works and and all that with qualifying behind them. So I really like that, knowing that that, um, they don't have to wait till Friday to get back on track. Okay, Justin, time to preview race weekend, the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama coming up on Sunday at Barber Motorsports Park and a a race at a track that we thought, well, this will never last, and it's turned into one of the top five biggest events in IndyCar. Who would have thought that going back to 2010 in the first race? But ready for race weekend at Barber and taking a look at the schedule and a preview of things to come. For Friday, they'll have practice 1, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern. Practice 2, 10 to 11 Eastern on Saturday. And then qualifying from 1 to 2.15 Eastern Saturday afternoon. They'll have a final practice Saturday evening, 5.20 to 5.50 Eastern. And then on Sunday, the uh, race from 1 to 3 Eastern on NBC, Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, and IndyCar Radio, the post-race show on Peacock at 3 o'clock Eastern time. So a look at the uh, the green flag time looks like 1.05. So a very short pre-race. I am fully on board with that, as you know. And a couple of key stats and notes for this weekend. Obviously, Joseph Newgarden going to come into this one as a favorite based on his success on this season and also in the past at Barber, one of his best tracks. And our key stats... From our friend Chad 200, Chad Smith, on Twitter. And five of 11 races, one from pole. Power Newgarden, 345 laps led. No other driver with more than 93. Dixon, nine podiums. Only driver to finish top 10 in every race. Led 46 laps. No wins, no front row starts. Which is one of those bizarre things. And the one of the only tracks he's not won on. Um... I guess, who's your favorite? What are some things you're looking for this weekend? Well, I think we kind of touched on it uh, earlier, but, you know, with Joseph Newgarden, and if his hot streak continues, I mean, he's a guy that can wrap up, you know, a million dollars that was put up for the season. If you want on an Ovals three-course and road course, and here Joseph Newgarden is a road course victory away from pocketing a million dollars, that's ten times as much money, Caleb, as you get to be the pole driver at the Indianapolis 500, which is astounding to me. Yeah, I mean, it is more of a season-long accomplishment, though. (laughs) Yes, but the fact that, you know, it is your premier event, it is arguably the biggest race in the world, and, you know, only pays 100K to be on on pole. But, you know, going back to, to Barber, you know, I feel like it's, you know, this is the final race without the Indianapolis 500 factoring in over the next month. I mean, while the GP is separate, it is very much, you know, a drivers want to set that tone, right, for the rest of the month at the GP. So I feel like this is, you know, the last independent event, I guess, until we get past the 500. So I think it's it's guys that are going to want to um, to really reinforce where they're at 
in in the points and also maybe make some gains because, as we know, in the month of May, they, that conversation really goes out the window until we get into June. So I think it's a lot on the line coming into Barber this weekend. So looking at some of the favorites, we mentioned Joseph Newgarden. Scott Dixon somehow has never won here. I'm going to throw out another name, Roman Grosjean. Um I thought you were going to say Jimmy Johnson. No. <laughs> okay. Not not on a road course. Uh, Grosjean's only raced here once, but it seems like he's been knocking on the door for a win for a bit. Uh, he started 7th, finished 10th last year in his only start at Barber, and Alex Blow won last year. He's been quietly lurking as well, another name to keep in mind. But, yeah, I, just, I, I almost picked Grosjean at, at Long Beach, and he finished 2nd. And I think he's he's he just keeps knocking on the door. Whether it's Barber, the Indy Road Course, I think Grosjean's going to win one of these next couple races. Well, as you said, he's been really tapping on the door. And how, I mean, how, how would it make Alexander Rossi feel as a guy that's still trying to get a win with Andretti after a couple of years, and now you have Romain Grosjean come in? You know, already have a runner-up, and once he wins, and I think it's more of a win instead of if, will Alexander Rossi have won before that happens? And, you know, as good as it would be for for uh, Andretti Autosport to get somebody other than Colton, Colton Herta in victory lane, I would think it'd be another nail in the coffin uh, for Alexander Rossi and, Alex, and, uh, and Andretti Autosport, that relationship, if... If somebody that new to the team gets a dub before Rossi does. Oh, and it, it is one of Rossi's favorite tracks. I mean, he loves racing at Barber. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, he'll have a lot to say over the weekend, I'm sure. Whether it's public or not, who knows? Uh, so, you know what? I, I'm going to go with Grosjean. Who's your pick this weekend? Well, I think Joseph Newgarden's too easy. Uh, it's low-hanging fruit. So I'm going to go... The guy, you, you went through the stats, has struggled, hasn't won there, but I'm going to go Scott Dixon. Yeah, struggled is a relative term. He just hasn't won there. <laughs> struggled for Scott Dixon. Yes. Be better. All right, so I have Grosjean. You have Dixon. Our picks for Barber this weekend for IndyCar and the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. If you agree or disagree with our, our picks how uh, we feel about qualifying the changes there we'd love for you to interact with us you can find us at newtrackrecordpodcast.com while you're there sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements and speaking of special announcements justin a couple of special announcements we now have t-shirts available for order and you'll want to get those ordered by may 7th because they'll ship out may 16th and you'll get them in time for the indy 500 for the first batch of order so if you want it before the indy 500 make sure you get your order in by may 7th uh, these are premium blend uh t-shirts you can go to bonfire and just search for new track record also we have the link on our store page at newtrackrecordpodcast.com and you can also support us on patreon and with that thanks to colbert who is a generous supporter um of us on that and we have different uh, increment amounts for you there and that one's pretty easy to find via the web it's patreon 
dot com slash new track record. So some some new ways to interact and be a part of the show, whether you want a shirt or be a monthly supporter. We appreciate either one very, very much. And as always, you can find us on social media, our Twitter handle, IndyCar Podcast, on Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. And we have uh, links there for stuff as well, shirts and uh, the Patreon as well. And email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And finally, as always, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform and follow for free, whether it's Apple Podcasts. And if you're following us on there, do us a favor and give us a five-star rating if you're really nice, write a review. Also, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, CastBox, or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, Justin, mailbag time this week. And as always, a ton to get to, thanks to... uh, your Twitter fingers. Um, <laughs> but but before all of that, before all of that, looking through uh, some of the things we have to get to and talking about the entries and, and the struggle to get there, BK Hickey says it takes a village on getting to 33. Chad, uh, let's see, that's actually separate, but that's on the Indy 500, so we'll get to that later on. Um this is from Jeremy from HBG. Uh, you guys should do a segment on where to bet and what different bets are available if there are differences that is. So off the top of my head, what? Points bet and DraftKings. Is FanDuel? They don't have IndyCar, right? No, they don't have IndyCar. Um, and it was right now DraftKings only had, at least last I looked, only winners. Uh, you can bet on just the winner. But I imagine as we get closer – Particularly heading into race weekend, they'll have some prop bets and uh, you know podium finishes and and all that stuff. And I don't think other sites have anything, right? No, not that I know of. And you know, DraftKings has really kind of gotten involved a lot more in Formula One, and for good reason because it's blowing up everywhere. But you know, with the sprint race that Formula One had last week, uh, you could bet on the uh, the sprint race. You could bet on the qualifying. Uh, so there was a lot more in terms of availability for Formula One and, and available bets there than uh, I'm used to seeing. So hopefully we'll see uh, a, a lot of different options for the Indianapolis 500 at the very least on DraftKings. And then Zach C eight seven seven one says, "I'm loving these Sato and Passion odds." And those, those odds that was as of a week ago. Uh, Castro Nevis was at plus 1,600, Sato plus 2,500, Montoya plus 3,000. And I don't know if those have changed since then. But, um, yeah, they had good odds early on. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen an updated one. But, you know, as of the last time I looked, the uh, the lowest odds, I guess, were Joseph Newgarden at plus 700. So even if you want to go with the favorite right now, there is money to be made with Joseph Newgarden. Moving on, a lot of replies to this. Uh, I, I tweeted, not too much longer and the DW12 will be able to get a driver's license and as they extend the, the life of that, and it seems like for the foreseeable future. Uh, Scuba Steve 85 said, I used to think the IR04 was around for a long time. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's one of the new replies there. Also, we have uh, thoughts on Formula One and who in IndyCar will be competing in F1 in 2025. You posted this poll. 43% of you said Colton Herta. 30% none of them. That's how I voted. 
14% Pato Award, 13% Andretti Global. Now the responses here. Jamin T14 says, I'm rooting for Andretti Global to make it. I'd love for Colton to be the driver and get a win or two at some point just to wipe the smug anti-American looks off a few F1 principals' faces. <laughs> Is that Toto Wolf directed? Uh, probably. <laughs> he just a- seems to always have a smirk on his face, though. Not as much this year, though. That's for sure. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Uh, Autosport <laughs> Lab says Andretti Global with Pato Herta lineup. Yeah, that would be awesome. I don't think we're that lucky, okay. though. Um, but uh, that's what they had to say. Uh, in, in, in a correction on last week, so I said that New Garden's ride looked like the Danny Sullivan spin and win. That is incorrect. DC Soda said, not exactly close to the 85 winner. I think there are some ones later in the 80s that New Garden's is based on. And then James Joe 71085452 said, I believe it's based on Sullivan's championship winning car in 1988 so there you go it was a familiar looking car from the mid to late 80s so i was off by just just a little bit uh i am analog rob duvall says as someone newer to the sport is there a tldr on the rich energy bit i know haas is involved so it's probably a dumpster fire that's too long didn't read quite simply rich energy was a sponsor of haas then they were basically pulled out mid-season and we looked for Rich Energy. It said it was available online in Fort Wayne at what? Walmart and King Eros. And you couldn't find it at either. I found it at a. Yeah. I found it at a discount store. And then they had a like a Fort Wayne area rep for it, but we'd never heard from him. And then we had a listener, Hollywood Tony, on Twitter sent us some cans. So that's basically the story, but it's just kind of a running gag across motorsports fans because Rich Energy is always about to announce their return to Formula One. Yeah, I always announce something huge. And to me, it tasted almost exactly like Red Bull. I thought it was fine. I know it was fine. It was just tasted like Red Bull to me. So... I don't know, maybe they're just buying Red Bull and adding one ingredient and repackaging it. <laughs> and calling it premium. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, that works for other stuff, so why not with an energy drink? Yeah. Why not rich energy give it a shot? Okay, continuing on. Now we get to qualifying and a pull on the new Indy 500 qualifying format. 63% of you said meh. And so I voted 21% love it, 9% hate it, 7% other. Few replies, NK Harden. I don't love that it has changed again, but the change is minor. I think it makes for even more drama, which will somewhat make up for the lack of bumping. If you were fine with a setup from the last couple of years, I don't know how you could hate this. His point is very valid. Look, it's not like they changed a whole lot, so <laughs> it's it's hard to disagree with that. Yeah, for, for me, it just comes down to changing it to try to make it sound more exciting despite no bumping. I think to me it was just uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I I felt they'd actually gotten to a modern, and by modern I mean since they got rid of four days of qualifying, I think they've figured out a modern take on qualifying to make it work. And to me, it was fine. But I get it, NBC, they have the TV time, and they would have nothing you know, with the Fast 9 for TV. They would need two hours of, of content for national TV, and they'd have one hour of content 
with the Fast 9. So I get it. That's ultimately why this change was made. Uh, DC Soda. What was that? I said it's all about television. That's right. DC Soda says until we actually get a pull day again, it's a waste of time. I want to see the fastest people take multiple shots at it during the fastest time of the day, not people trying to stay out of the last row, taking up spots in prime time. Um, you know, yeah. we we had that, you know, as far as trying to get out of the last row uh, spots, you know, on the Saturday, but that's pretty typical. I don't know. Yeah, I also, you know, part of it is, is simply the luck of the draw with where you run on Saturday, right? I mean, if you run early and it's set to be a hot day, you're looking good. Whereas if you have to start late in that order, in the heat of the day, if it's a warm day in Indianapolis, then you're going to struggle. So, you know, you know, a lot of what happens on Saturday is impacted by the weather. And, you know, I know that's an uncontrollable, but it's difficult to put – it's difficult when a lot of, of, of what happens is determined by – the temperature and and when you run on Saturday. You know what's going to happen? It's going to rain that Saturday, and they're not going to get you know enough running or any running in, and so everything's going to happen on Sunday, and it's going to be great. Yeah, and then they're going to love it, and then they're going to adopt it for next year, and then they'll change it in 2024. <laughs> we shall see. Scuba Steve 85, <laughs> why do they have to change it every few years? The recent changes were okay, but I like the pull day and bump day setup from years ago. The recent iterations have decreased track action on Sunday. Let's not get started on adding more points to the event. Yeah, I forgot. they 12 to 1 as opposed to, what, 9 to 1? I don't know. That's not that big of a change for me. And then he says, why don't we just give the series championship to the 500 winner and call it a season? I don't like the double don't points. <laughs> I don't like the double points, but it is what it is. At least they got rid of double points for the finale. It's a start. Yep, and we're inching ever closer to us actually talking about the point standings. Also true. Uh, Autosport Lab just says totally unnecessary change on the modifications. Uh, Poet Shevchenko, I like it insofar as it is what they are using for a 33-car entry list. They have more entries than that. I would prefer something different. I, I, yeah, I think ultimately this plan was hatched and concocted to make it work without bumping. And it works for what it is, but I don't think it's a permanent plan. I would agree. I think with hopefully the return of bumping next year, I feel like we also return to the Fast 9. Yes. Our call... Uh, it's, it's that... It's that it's that TV window on Sunday, right? Like you mentioned, yeah. you needed something to fill that, so you go fast twelve with no bumping. But when you have bumping, you have to you can't do both in that two hour block, so you have to trim it back to nine. Our call says, "How about this? Run the road course finishing order uh, as the same as the five hundred starting order. Boom, simple, or better yet, reverse points. Last place in points is on pole. Hope no one from any car sees this tweet." <laughs> Um, well, the problem is you got your one-offs, right? So yeah. You're relegating your one-offs to the back of the field right away. Indy Turn 3 Gang says, if they can't get more than 33, just do the qualifying on Saturday because who cares? And if you want to get crazy and draw a crowd, do two dual races of 50 laps each on Sunday to set the field. And then adds, 
Everything but two hours on Peacock is not going to help grow the sport. You don't see NASCAR doing this. I'm not expecting much of a crowd for qualifying the Speedway. I'm going, but meh. Everyone gets a participation ribbon. Wow, exciting. (laughs) Well, that's the problem when you don't have more than 33 cars. I will say, though, when we talk about convoluted qualifying formats, the Daytona 500 ain't easy. No, not at all. You have duels and owner's points. And single-car qualifying, but then you have the duels. Uh, yeah, I, like it, it's a mess for Daytona. I, it must be just a uh, a thing in North America with with you know some of the be- biggest races in the in the country in the world is you have to make them as difficult as possible in terms of the qualifying format. This from Cole to show Bear just got to wait and see. I'm numb to any any 500 qualifying changes at this point. <laughs> Fair. Right? I just feel like, it, I guess it goes with the territory. You know, consistency is key when we talk about the schedule, but I guess it's not consistency is key when it comes to you know, qualifying. And, you know, the, the original problem that, that I had with it, too, is, is that the graphic that IndyCar releases is so confusing. Like, if I just, if somebody asks, you know, oh, you know, how does qualifying work? Hey, take a look at this graphic. This will explain everything. That is the most convoluted, difficult graphic to understand. And Nathan Brown was was kind enough to break it down in four sentences. Because if you are relying on that graphic to explain to the layperson how qualifying works, they are going to lose interest pretty quick. Yeah, I I went by his response, and it made sense to me. It was (laughs) concise and and to the point. Uh, LeeWalk803-77986 on Twitter on the team qualifying idea you proposed uh, makes it a dilemma for spectators in person. Go Saturday and have a full day of qualifying or go Sunday and watch fast nine and essentially practice for the rest. Well, fast 12 now with this new format, but yes. And uh, Tyler underscore Allen says carb day is also gutted from what it had grown to. Um, No, I would say they just replace the Indy lights race with two hours of Indy car practice, which Look, I get people love the lights race and the Freedom 100, but getting two hours of any car practice is also a pretty good deal. I mean, look, I like the Freedom 100, but they weren't packing the seats for it. I mean, I felt there were more people in the seats, by and large, for the practice and the pit stop competition than the lights race. So it's kind of like when we talk about ovals and everybody missing this, that, and the other race here, oval races, and they weren't showing up. Like, I never saw that many people riveted to the Freedom 100 at the Speedway. I think they liked it because it was there and it was ongoing. Yeah, it was just something going on. I I don't think really... And, you know, okay, four-wide finish or three-wide finish is exciting and cool, but in the end, it was just another thing going on around the main event, right? Yes. So, you know, with or without the Freedom 100, in my opinion, does not impact the Indianapolis 500 or the 500 weekend. And 
I, I, I feel like of all the people that say they miss the, the Freedom 100, that's, that's, that's fine. I do too. But I don't think it's impacting a lot of people in deciding whether or not they're going to Carb Day. And this kind of goes into, you know, something you tweeted and it got a lot of response, including uh, one from Tony Kanaan. Month of May, now the two weeks of May, qualifying week and now qualifying day in a few hours. Bump day is now in A. Good thing race day still delivers. I will disagree with you on one point. Carb day, I get that people are mad that the Freedom 100 is is gone, but carb day didn't even used to be on a Friday. Like, it used to be on a Thursday and it used to be a nothing, and that's a relatively new thing in the last 10 to 15 years that it's become such a big event. I mean, up until, I think, 15 years ago, roughly, Carb Day was on a Thursday and it was a nothing, and it's turned into a, a day that draws crowds of, you know, eighty to 100,000 people. And you look at, you know, people would maybe say the glory days of the Indianapolis 500 in the 80s and 90s, and people were coming to Carb Day like crazy, and there really wasn't anything going on. Do you know what I mean? You like, mean qualifying days? No, like carb days. Carb day, I would have my uncles, you know, they always used to go to carb day and they would always talk with their friends, and, you know, remember going to carb day and all that stuff. But in terms of rate, in terms of schedule, nowadays there's a lot more going on on carb day than there used to be. Well, and I guess carb day essentially has replaced the crowds that we saw for qualifying pre split, and that's what we have now. That's, that's kind of the, the modern party day outside of racing. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, because Carb Day used to be that party day uh, in a lot of ways, and, and it is now, but I think it had that moniker even last day in the past, despite it being on a Thursday, despite not really much going on on track, to be honest. And now, within the last 15 or so years, it's become a way bigger event, though, than it was before. Definitely. So I, I guess to me, that's the the one thing I'd say there's a trade-off, is that Carb Day and what it's become is relatively new. You know, after the year 2000, they, they moved it from a Thursday to a Friday, and it's become a new thing. Uh, Tony Kanan says, love the positive comments. Wow, you guys are all uplifting. Congrats. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy from HBG says, oh, come on. I can see the article Robin would write, and you can too. He'd be pissed, but still support the series. IndyCar podcasts are in the same vein, but less pissy. <laughs> uh, ben Smith for real says, so basically what you're saying is times change, unrealistic to expect otherwise. I I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, let's take a look at other responses. TK uh, adds to say, it's totally fine. I am who I am, so move on. Let's enjoy the month of May. Cheers, guys. Uh, R. Cole says, we all want IndyCar to be as successful and reach as many people as possible. Once people see the racing, they become fans. I'll never forget my first race at the 99 US 500. I got to see a legend get his first of many. Hashtag fan for life, talking about TK. Mike Jarrett 33 says, you're certainly not pro IndyCar, however. Thank God we still have free speech, at least for now. Um, okay. <laughs> Interesting. And Indy Primo 5 says, oh, just stop. You're not fans of IndyCar. Your posts are mostly just copying Marshall Pruitt. Just go away and let people enjoy racing. If it's that bad, go watch NASCAR. Okay. All righty then. Hey, we're not doing our job if we don't have some hate on the Twitter machine. I guess so. That's all I got to say. And speaking of hate, 
The movie Driven came out 21 years ago this week, and you posted this but, and wanted to know, did anyone become fans of Open Wheel in America because of it? And actually, a couple of responses. Hunter's Way 67 says, my oldest son loves it. I showed that flick to my boys when they were little, and they enjoyed it, so there you go. Also, Jamin T14 says, I've been a fan for a few years, but mainly enjoyed ovals, so definitely an IRL guy. Realized how over the top the film was, but loved every minute of it and became a cart fan because of it. Hey, so it did impact people. Right. I think, you know, we throw a lot of, of, of uh, shade at Driven, and for good reason. It's yeah. terrible. It's a terrible movie. But I have never heard anyone say that they gave up on open-wheel racing or no longer watched open-wheel racing because of Driven. I think, on the flip side, there are people out there that watched Driven, that saw it, and then started following the sport. So, while it wasn't necessarily the best representation of the sport, it was at least something that displayed the sport and captured some fans. We we had this conversation, I don't know if it was a year ago, a couple years ago, Caleb, is... What would be better, you know, uh, for the sport? Is is a, a colossal dump of a movie like Driven about the sport or nothing? And the answer is a, a dump of a, a movie like Driven. <laughs> your you know, your phone you – know, like, you know, I'm going to cut you off. Your phone beeped when you said colossal dump, and it was just perfectly timed. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, but, you know – you know the old adage, right? Bad publicity is better than no publicity. So I really feel there there is there is some positivity that came out of out of Driven, most definitely. Um, you know, it's not realistic. It's not even what Cart was back then, for sure. Well, remember the the movie treated Cart like it was F one. Well, they wanted to do it F one originally. But they couldn't, I don't know exactly what the details were. They couldn't get Formula One to agree or they couldn't get the, you know, probably I'm sure a lot of it was money and location and all that stuff. So they basically built it around the Formula One premise, but used cart. But, um, you know, for us insiders, it was a terrible movie, right? But, you know, for the casual fan, I'm sure it grabbed the attention of a fair amount of people that then started at least casually turning into races. As someone who was 12 years old when it came out, I was excited to watch it. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and did you find it realistic when you were 12 years old watching it? No. Okay. But it was also a movie. But you did not stop watching watching racing because of it? No. Okay. All right, back to uh, more complaints on 500 qualifying. Canuck underscore says so much for tradition. Uh, Transocean Trojan says... Uh, you've got a point, but I do like it being uniform with the current qualifying process for the other 16 races, which, yeah, I guess that is a good point. Yes, it does. You know, well, I mean, at least for Rotor Street, so you kind of combine the two, right? But it was it was unique anyway with, with four laps instead of two at Oval. So it does kind of stand on its own in that respect. And then uh, you posted this other poll, which race over the next few weeks you're most looking forward to. 43% said IndyCar at Barber. I mean, duh. Uh, 29% IndyGP, 23% F1 in Miami, 5% Cup at Darlington. Some responses. 
Jamin T14 Indy GP because we're going to be there both days. You get nine races across two days, including the road to Indy. And that right there, folks, that's why road and street course racing works because you have a lot of on-track action wherever you go. DC Soda says Indy GP because that means we're on the doorstep of the 500. Also, it's been a pretty great race the last few years. True. Elliot Cox 51 says USF Juniors at Barber uh, Thursday and Friday as he's competing in that. So good luck to Elliot at that event as USF Juniors. It's their second round. And uh, let's see. There might be a couple more tweets. Oh, yes. The 33rd entry in Indy Turn 3 gang said, I was hoping it would be Goggles Paisano, which you love that. (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Saw that and laughed out loud. All right. So that wraps up the mailbag, and we'll get to news and notes with that. And speaking of on-track action this weekend, another driver new to the list as far as this weekend, but he's raced previously, Ryan Finney. Will be behind the wheel of the number 11 Abel Motorsports machine for Indy Lights. Finney's made uh, six previous starts in Lights. He had five back in 2014. Connor Daly will be part of the SRX broadcast team for a few races this summer. So that's cool. Congrats to Connor being a part of that and keeping it with uh, Indianapolis. Alexander Rossi helped out putting and saw the Indy 500 street signs. Also, Alex Pillow was a part of helping out with the. Indy 500 uh, logo sign on the JW Marriott in downtown Indy uh, earlier this week. As everything's kind of getting set up, we're, we're closing in and also a few sponsor announcements to get to as Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing, High Rock Vodka, which is Dale Jr.'s uh, vodka brand. That'll be the primary sponsor for Graham Ray Hall. Race one of the High V IndyCar uh, weekend at Iowa. Also, Innovate Corporation will sponsor Roman Grosjean. They'll be the title sponsor for his number 28 car. It's a battery innovation company specializing in battery technologies for electric vehicles. And not to be outdone when it comes to that space, for Scott McLaughlin, Odyssey Battery will be the sponsor for Mid-Ohio and Gateway. So uh, interesting that they shift to hybrid and suddenly they get some... <laughs> Uh, battery technology sponsors. Go figure. Yeah, coincidence? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Another uh, thing that IndyCar announced late last week, there's a new tire. It'll essentially be the the Firestone Green that will debut for the Music City GP. Also be a part of the Pit Stop competition. It's made from some shrub that's in, I think, the southwest U.S. as opposed to Southeast Asia that is more sustainable and so that will eventually on a full-time basis replace the firestone red so that's cool some innovation there firestone greens now so i mean what i noticed too in taking that uh indycar fan survey earlier this year was a lot of questions on you know sustainability and you know environmental issues within indycar and kind of gauging the the interest in that and the importance in that and i think you know while this isn't a a, a significant step forward at least the majority of the uh, announcements i thought this was was significant and then being able to you know build a tire which all indications is what they're saying will be you know as durable and um as as the normal rubber tire 
but also have it, you know, made in America and then, like you said, you know, develop from that shrub that, that grows in the deserts of the Southwest and, and you know, kind of uh, taking away as, uh, a bit, as big of an impact environmentally as, you know, the, the rubber trees from Southeast Asia. So, cool, uh, you know, but uh, R.I.P. the Firestone Reds. Yeah, I mean, not yet. We'll, we'll get them more this season, but, yeah, it looks like it'll be a more full-time replacement for next year. Continuing on with some other yeah. notes to get to. Uh, this is from Chad underscore 15. Uh, Doug Bull said, strongest ticket sales in over 20 years outside of 2016 for the Indy 500. Not a surprise. We've been hearing that for a while, and it makes sense because not everyone could attend last year. Um, congrats to Nick Graziano. He says, I'm going to be tweeting about IndyCar a lot more now, and he is now the uh, IndyCar PR manager. So congrats to him in his new role. And Laguna Seca is getting some upgrades. Funding approved for them to resurface the track and also replace the uh, pedestrian bridge uh, over start-finish. So $9.7 million approved for repairs for WeatherTech Raceway at Laguna Seca. So good news. We heard about this a few months back. They've completed the study, and the repairs will move forward. Will IndyCar be at Laguna Seca to take in those updates? I think so. Uh, okay. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely hope so, and I, I think they will be couple of other things to get to yeah. before we get to uh, tweets of the week and our random split era driver of the week first off joe uh, Seward, who's f1 writer but on his uh, wordpress site said australians are pretty excited about f1 at the moment although daniel ricardo seems a little lost at mclaren there continue to be rumors that in 2024 if not earlier daniel will be replaced by colton herta the american who zach brown believes could open the gates of formula one to corporate america We'll have to see if Herta has everything needed to be an F1 star, but he seems to have the speed. Whether he can go on being a drummer in a rock band called Zibs in his spare time remains to be seen, as F1 is a full-time job. Interesting. So it does bring up an interesting point as, you know, what is it, next weekend we'll have the, uh, the Grand Prix in Miami. Is With now three U.S. Grand Prix on the schedule beginning in 2023, the viability of a American driver in Formula One, I think, becomes more important because of the amount of races in the States and, and gaining sponsors and, and all that stuff in the States. So is it Colton Herta? I, I don't know. Uh, is it somebody else, potentially? Is it a guy like Logan Sargent, potentially? I don't know who it will be, but I do think that the days are numbered in regards to not having an American in the Formula One field. It, it, it seems like a formality, right? I mean, they have to find a way to get an American in F1. Yeah, at, the, at this point, definitely. And and is that person in IndyCar right now, or is he, is he in Formula Three or Formula Two or F4? I, I don't know where he's at. Um you know, Colton Erna, I think, has the personality and the the drive, um, but that can only get you so far in, in Formula One. So, 
Is he the perfect candidate? I, I, I don't know if he's the perfect candidate, but is he the leading candidate right now? Probably. Yeah, I would agree he's the leading candidate. Congrats to Nathan Brown uh, winning an award from the uh, Indiana uh, Society of Professional Journalists for sports reporting uh, with the Indy Star. And then uh, one other note before we get to tweets of the week. Uh, condolences to Ted Prappas' family. The uh, driver uh, passed away earlier this week. There's a, a good write-up by Marshall Pruitt on Racer.com. He was a little bit before my time, Justin. I don't know if you recall, but he had a, quite the qualifying run for the Indy 500, I believe, in 1992. He was a guy that I remember. Um, I was 10 at the time. I don't remember watching him live, but I do remember I've seen him on YouTube. Uh, on that qualifying. So it's pretty wild, but um, his brother, Will, worked with their mother on managing Hollywood star Jimmy Stewart. So (laughs) quite the connection there. Wow. Yeah. So learn learn something new uh, every day, but uh, condolences to his his family as um, one of our racers has left us. So Quickly, before our Random Split Era Driver of the Week, tweets of the week, and first one from Alexander Rossi, uh, quote tweeting a tweet by jwords 77 It says, did you know any car drivers represent 15 different nations while Formula One represents 14? And Rossi said, I wonder what the missing nation is. Oh, wait, with an eyes rolled emoji and a bald eagle emoji. <laughs> this from NASCAR Chasm. Um, talking about Elon Musk buying Twitter and says, why buy Twitter when that amount of money will get you two decent grandstand seats for the Miami F1 race? <laughs> All indications are it is, it is crazy, the um, the cost of those tickets. I think, what is it, StubHub or something said it was the most expensive ticket they've ever had or something like that. It sounds like um, it definitely going to price out the casual fan at the Miami GP. Not that that's a surprise. We expected that. Very true. And then final tweet of the week from Tony DeZeno. The worst movie in history is now old enough to drink, in reference to Driven. And coincidentally, you have to drink to make it through the entirety <laughs> of the movie. It's, uh, yeah, the, the crash scenes are out of control, literally and figuratively. Most definitely. Okay, random split era driver of the week. Who do we have this week? Uh, I don't have one. No. (laughs) I don't. I uh, was been driving all day today, and I I thought I was going to be able to get through traffic. I'm going through Atlanta right now, so uh, pretty chaotic. So I will make it up to everybody next week with a, a humdinger of a random split era driver of the week. Okay, so I will pick one. Last week, did we do carts or IRL? We did cart last year, last week. We did Jim Guthrie, we talked about. That's right. Okay, so let me go yeah, to the uh, IRL. This will be 1999 IRL season. And our driver will be... Doug Didero for Mid-America Motorsports. He competed in one race 
in the 1999 IRL season. That was Texas. Was the season finale, he finished in 20th. In 2000, he participated in a handful of races. Best finish of 14th at Walt Disney World to open up the season. He did not qualify for the 2000 Indianapolis 500. Again, also with Mid-American Motorsports. Uh, he's from Hamilton, Ontario. He he had six career starts in the IRL. Uh, he raced three times in the NASCAR Bush Series in 1991 and 1992. Best known for his success in Super Modifieds at Oswego Speedway and in IMSA, uh, where he had success in those series. He won the 1996 International Classic. Um, two dozen features on his way to three consecutive track championships in 94, 95, and 96. One of the all-time winningest drivers in the history of the track at Oswego Speedway. Uh, he did return to semi-regular super modif- modified racing um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Won the 2008 Oswego Speedway International Classic 200. And then returned to full-time racing action following 2008. Retired at the end of 2010 after conflicts with his car owner as well as other drivers at the track. Too many people. So, uh, not not sure what happened there. So, in his starts in NASCAR Bush Series, uh, kind of mixed results. A couple of DNQs, 17th uh, for the Texas Pete 300 in 1992 for Rainer Racing, a 27th at uh, Richmond, again, all in the Bush Series. And then it, he finished 25th at Hickory Motor Speedway. In 1991, again, all for Rainer Racing. But uh, this week's Random Split Air Driver of the Week, Doug Dodaro, who participated in six IRL races between 1999 and 2000. I feel like we've actually had him before. The name rings a bell. Yeah, it does ring a bell. You know, what's interesting about Doug Dodaro and just the, the history uh, you go through it, you know, super modified. So, you know, when it was the IRL and it was all ovals, you know, it was, I don't want to say it's easier, but there, there was a, a easier path or a better path from, you know, super modifieds and, and all that into the sport. You know, we talk so much about the you know, grassroots racing and turning those guys into open-wheel drivers, and with the lack of ovals, you're not seeing that same path, right? You're not seeing uh, those kind of drivers, you know, flock to IndyCar. I mean, Brian Clawson over the last decade is, is basically the exception, right? But but it was a lot different, um, you know, throughout the history of, of Champ Car and, and, you know, CART and, and, and the IRL because of the wealth of ovals. So it's just kind of a a, a pipeline that's, that's largely dried up over the past 10 years, 15 years. And as Super Modifieds, for those of you unaware, I mean, that is your – Small town, short track pavement racing, basically. Oh yeah, that's that's Fairfield Speedway, baby. That's right. All right. Well, that is our random split air driver of the week, and we'll be back next week to recap the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama at Barber Motorsports Park. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.